Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So before we dive into our main uh, topic for this week, which is going to be talking about how our summers went with iOS 13, some sort of last-minute rumor roundup things, uh, we just wanted to mention that um, we're towards the end of the Relay FM membership drive. And if you don't know what membership is, so membership is a way for listeners um, of the shows on Relay FM to support the you know support the shows more directly rather than just um, the, spon- the typical sponsorship based um, model and membership starts at five dollars a month and if you become a member um, it gives you access to a variety of things including a monthly behind the scenes newsletter you get 5k uh, desktop wallpapers for all the various show arts um, there's a monthly sort of host crossover show that Stephen hosts um, so you kind of get an interesting cross-pollination of the various hosts um, and then also you get access to a feed of bonus episodes and these are things that um, they're the various shows on relay publish in August and September that are just kind of interesting or different and um, are sort of only accessible to members. And the nice thing about about this feed is that it also includes all of the past uh, bonus shows that you have ever been done over the Relay's last five years. Um, and so it has a whole wealth of kind of interesting and fun things. And this year, we're going to be doing one. Um, and the, sort of the main topic that we're going to be talking about is um, our earliest computers and our early experiences of learning to program. So if that sounds interesting to you, um, certainly think about subscribing to be able to listen to that. And in case you've ever wondered what it's like for the, that, if, if Under the Radar was a little bit longer, the membership episode will be 31 minutes long. Oh. So just, just, just putting that out there. Breaking the so, law. Yeah. So if you want to share your support for this show and all of Relay FM, you can head over to relay.fm slash radar um, and you can sign up to become a member for support this show, support the network. Um, and if you just want to understand a bit more about how membership works, you can go to relay.fm slash membership. So it seems like we are now finally at the end of the summer. Well, we are at the end of the summer. We've uh, officially kind of hit that point. Yeah, Kids are back sadly. in school. Sadly, sort of summer is over now. Um, now we're heading into the fall and that's in addition to how that, you know, sort of the more personal sides of that, we're now also into the, it feels like sort of like this is one of the crunch times of the year. This is the period of time where, uh, at least I know for myself, I find I have a lot more time and sort of focused work time, um, just in terms of a lot of the things that are just ongoing in the summer have kind of settled down. The kids are in school. Everything's just kind of into its own routine. So I tend to get a lot of work done. And this is the time of year we're about to get a whole lot of new Apple stuff probably, you know, over the next month or so. So as we're recording now, um, we're a little under a week away from the the first of the first announced event that, that Apple is going to have this year, which it's widely expected in which they will be announcing the new iPhone, probably a new Apple Watch as well, um, though we don't know for sure, and almost certainly... Um, giving some indication as to when iOS 13 and watchOS 6 or tvOS and all the new updates there are going to launch. Probably not the Mac stuff, probably not Catalyst. It Traditionally, that has come more in October um, in the last few years. Um, but that is likely where we are. And it seemed like a good time to both look back at how the summer went, how iOS 13 has treated us, um, as well as some of the talk through a little bit of kind of the last minute rumors and things about how we're kind of preparing for um, the event in the next month or so. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me, well, we probably did a show about it. We probably did. <laughs> uh, like, you know, what I plan to do this summer, uh, what actually happened this summer was very, very different. Uh, I, I would never have guessed 
that I would end up spending summer the way I did. And what I've basically done, which you know, I shouldn't be news for our listeners, I've talked about it before, um, is I really deferred almost all iOS 13 work. I've been using iOS 13 on my primary phone all summer. And I know how Overcast, when built for iOS 12, runs on iOS 13, because that's what I'm using most of the time. And it's fine. There were There's a few tiny bugs that, that, I, that I'm trying to fix, but they're really inconsequential. And for the most part, it's fine. So I, I kind of don't need to update it ASAP. The only reason I would, I would need to would be like, you know, for the idea of getting my features out there on day one. But one thing I really don't like doing is supporting multiple major versions of the OS at the same time. What I've done since the very beginning of Overcast, and I think I did it for most of Instapaper too, uh, is I always support the latest version, and when the new OS comes out in the fall, I start requiring it almost immediately. And like the old versions might continue to work on on the old phones, but like whatever I'm building, the newest update always is like you know iOS 13 only. You know, like whatever the newest version of iOS, it's that version only, and that allows me to greatly reduce the the bug surface area, the the maintenance and testing surface area that I have to do. And and I've recommended before, I've recommended to our audience that you do that, that you that you require the new OS as soon as possible. This summer for a variety of reasons, it, it, I, I've come to a different conclusion. You know, certainly over the last couple of years, the rate of new iOS adoption seems to have slowed down. Uh, that, it, that it takes longer for, you know, whatever percentage you want to say. Say it's like, you know, 80% or 90%. Like, it takes longer to reach that in recent years than it has, it, you know, than it did earlier on. And for and that's for a variety of reasons that, that are beyond the scope of the show. But, so... If I limit myself to only iOS 13 for the latest version, I, it's, it, it's more and more limiting these days than it used to be. And, you know, in a few months' time, that won't matter so much. You know, in a few months' time, there will be much more adoption of iOS 13. But assuming it's going to be released probably next week, that, that's going to be – like, there aren't, there aren't going to be a lot of people running it next week to the point where I could, I could safely require it. And so I have actually deferred most of my iOS 13 work in part because I'm not really I'm choosing not to follow that deadline this year. I'm choosing not to be there on day 1. And that's also in part because most of the new features in iOS 13 are not things that are that important to my app. The the most important feature is dark mode. But I've had a dark mode for years and I don't think I could just follow the system setting. I think I'm going to have to have a second setting that says, like, follow the system setting or set it differently because I think that's the kind of user base I have that they want to be able to customize stuff like that. I know that about my about my customers. And so dark mode, I feel like I don't really need to do because it's already super easy to switch overcast to dark mode and to use a little two-finger gesture to switch it back and forth if you, if you really want to switch it back and forth. But I think most people just set it the way they want it and leave it that way forever. Like, I don't think people are switching that often. So dark mode isn't that important to me, but it's also a lot of work to adopt the system dark mode because once I build for 13, as you know, once, once I build for the 13 SDK and ship that as, as like the shipping version, then I have to deal with the system dark mode and I have to deal with like what it does to the stock UI controls and everything and, and be able to put in overrides and all sorts, of, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's basically a lot of work for something that I, I don't think is that urgent for my app. And so what was urgent for my app I, I what started out as like 
I was having a lot of crashes and bugs and server load issues earlier this year and earlier in, in the summer. And so I wanted, I, I knew that iOS 13, because it was going to have slow adoption, the it was important to me to make sure that the last iOS 12 version that was going to be compatible with iOS 12 was really stable for people because I knew people might be using it for a while. So I started out earlier in the summer doing a really big like general bug fix for iOS 12. I really wanted to make sure the iOS 12 version was solid and really bring down the crash rate because it was, it was getting a little uncomfortable. So bring down the crash rate and make sure everything was working and, and, and redo the sync system so that it was much easier on the server so that I could support these users for a very long time because iOS 13 also cuts off some old devices, which 12 didn't. And so I knew like, there's going to be people who hold, on to iOS, who hold on to my iOS 12 version for a while. So I want to make sure it was as, as good as it could be. And then basically what happened was I kept doing that. And I kept making it more and more solid. And meanwhile, I've been maintaining my iOS 13 branch off to the side. And every time I'm like waiting for a test flight review for my iOS 12 branch, I take that time to merge in those changes into the iOS 13 branch and make any 13 requests or make any 13 um, adjustments needed, you know, adopt some of the 13 APIs when I can. But I've been mostly working on the 12 branch all this time. Because not only has 13 felt like it wasn't that urgent of a thing, uh, and, and not only am I, am I afraid of low adoption at first, so I don't really want to require it really soon, but also all the iOS 13 stuff has just felt like building on quicksand. You know, it's been, as we've mentioned, it's, it's been a, a pretty rough beta season for like, you know, stability, quality, change, you know, uh, I, I guess like, yeah, like, like changing stuff under you. And a lot of the new stuff that I that I thought I was going to adopt really quickly, like Swift UI, making a whole new watch app, like Swift UI is super young, and I'd rather wait a little bit, maybe like maybe a year. I'd rather wait until it's like more stable because where it is now takes a lot of effort and a lot of upkeep and maintenance because you have to keep keeping up with all the changes as it matures and as it changes, just like Swift was, you know, when it was in its first year. And so I could choose to either build. All, you know, put all, my, put all my effort basically into building on quicksand all summer and deal with all the churn of that and all the overhead of that and the frustration. Or I could focus on the core app and defer a lot of that work until later. And because most of that work is not that urgent, I chose that. I, I chose to defer it. So I have a really solid iOS 12 app going into the launch of iOS 13. And I have a you know very half done iOS 13 branch that I'm that I'm hoping to start working on with the final SDK, not running betas, <laughs> you know, just a regular running the regular Xcode. And it, this is a very weird thing for me. I've never I've never done this before in any summer, uh, but I think this was the right move for me this summer. And again, and this doesn't apply to every app either. Uh, but but I think I think for me, I think this was the right move. And I'm basically going to adopt iOS 13 slowly over the next few months. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I ended up doing a very similar thing. And I think this switch for me was the the realization that in some way, like often there's a sense of urgency about adopting the new OS over the summer. At least that's an, a sense of urgency that I put on myself, where I get this feeling that I need to adopt this by a particular date because it's like, it's important to, to be there on day one. And like, that's like this, you know, that's the, that, the feeling of urgency that I, I sort of put on myself. What was interesting this summer is what I had had almost the inverse sense of urgency was that I need to make the iOS 12 version of my app very good by the end of the summer. 
And that is in some ways more urgent than iOS 13's adoption because I'm hoping, I think I'm going to be more aggressive with my adoption probably this year than I have in years past. That I will probably at some point in the next few months move to an iOS 13 only um, requirement for many of my apps because I think like you were saying, it is overall a good thing. And I think in years past, I've been a bit too... I've been too, supported too far back, and I think that creates more work and more sort of just challenge from for me than I need. Um, and so I look forward to doing that. But if I go down that road, then I'm in this place where the actual urgency, the actual like deadline that I'm stuck on is that the iOS 12 version will, has to be as good as I can make it, and then like that version will be sort of frozen in time for many of my users forever. So I need to make sure that version is the perfect one. Whereas the iOS 13 version, I have at least a year to make that version better, to make that uh, more adopting more, more and more of the things and to see how things shake out. And like that version has runway for, you know, sort of indefinitely into the future. Whereas the one that actually is actually does have an urgent need that actually does have like a hard deadline and situations where things are going to get kind of tricky is the iOS 12 version. And so I did this very much the same thing, which I think does surprise me to think when I go, I'm sure if I go back to listen to our WBDC episode, this is not necessarily what we were saying we were going to do, but it ended up that like I changed my mindset to it's make iOS 12 version really good. I've had a lot of bug fix updates. I've done a lot of features um, and a lot of things that I think will make that version have longer longevity down the road that I won't, I won't sort of be like frustrated by this version that, I mean, for me, many of my, from just from a device perspective, like 20% of my current user base is reusing phones that can't support iOS 13. So like 20% of my user base, unless they all immediately buy new phones, which I'm sure Apple would love, but it seems very (laughs) unlikely um, are going to be running iOS 12 for the foreseeable future. And I don't know what that looks like in terms of, you know, if that's for the next year, for the next two years, three years, like that version of um, that, you know, iOS 12 is going to be around for probably quite a long time. Um, and so it seemed like it ended up just making sense to be really, um, really conservative and really sort of uh, cautious and defensive this year. Um, and I think overall I feel good about it. And then I think doubly so, given the weird um, complexity we have right at the end of the iOS 13 sort of beta cycle, where now suddenly we have uh, iOS 13.1 just like appears as beta, um, but we didn't, there's just, don't really seem to be changes in the Xcode version. So Xcode seems to still be sort of targeting what was X- iOS 13.0. And there's a lot of complexity and things around that that I think make even like day one support I don't even really know what day one support would look like right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it, 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 which is just like, there, at a certain point, it's like, I'm not going to try to hit a goal that I can't even, like, describe. And, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, it sounds like things have been really complicated for Apple internally this year. And, like, I feel for those people, believe me. But it's like, as a, on the outside looking in, it's one of those, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I can't necessarily, like, plan to support something that I don't even know what I'm supposed to be trying to support. Should I be, like, I have one of my testing devices still stuck on 13.0, whatever it was, beta 7, I think, beta 6. And, like, I've turned off, like, any kind of updating situation for that. Um, 
to try and make sure that's like I'm preserving this this kind of rare thing that you can't reproduce anymore. <laughs> and then like iOS 13.1 is now like my other testing device that I had to turn up towards that because like and I'm trying to make sure my you know all my things work on all of those systems, but like I don't know which is the final one, which is the one that's actually going to come out into the world. So anyway, I think that definitely doubles down on the like this was a good idea, like avoiding iOS 13 for, for right now, waiting till things shake out and then like diving into it seems like a good plan yeah i didn't man, i didn't even think about it. you're right like the whole 13.0 13.1 split that's going to also cause you know headaches for developers you know it, like if something goes weird only on 13.0 and you can't install it anymore uh yeah that's man this is why like I, you know i the, the, the more we talk through this the more i think this was the right decision like you know ios 13 is not urgent for us to adopt for for our apps uh, and and so you know, the iOS 12 version will continue to run very well until 13 settles down. And like, and by waiting, a, you know, a month or two, or whatever it ends up being, I think we can then only require 13.1 instead of 13.0 as the base target. And that I think, or even 13.2, depending on how, how long it takes. Yeah, but, uh, but like, you know, we could avoid the whole 0.0, 0.1 thing and just start with 0.1 as the first version that we actually adopt for our apps. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a it's a it's a funny thing, but and I think it works out well too. That I think the mindset that I had previously is coming from a time when each progressive version of the OS was major, significant, and like essential to adopt right away. That there were times when, like, I mean, the, this, and in some ways, this is the benefit and the curse of you and I having been doing this for over a decade now. That like there have been iOS updates where it was really important and there were major up changes. And it's like, you know, you think of like the iOS 7 update where everything, you know, all, all these things changed in the UIs and there's this like sense of these broad, sh- these broad changes. But like from a user facing perspective, iOS change, iOS updates are much more incremental now and they're much more like there's just less urgency for there on day one. And I think in like, like I said, dark mode is the mo- main like user facing feature. And honestly, I'm very curious to see what adoption even of that feature among users is um, or like how long it takes for the awareness of dark mode to percolate out into the world and be something that people are looking for. And if you support and how much even there dark mode is going to be something where people are doing the like you can have it scheduled to switch back and forth. Like, is that the way people are going to use it where it's like dark at night, light during the day? because um, if that's the case then like the way we support it in our apps is much more nuanced but if people are mostly just going to be like oh i like dark apps and just like hit dark all the time and just leave it there yeah then it doesn't even matter if you support theming currently then you basically do support ios 13 dark mode because from a user's perspective they won't know any different if they just hit the switch in your app once and then it's fine exactly well, response to this week by Zojo, X-O-J-O, Zojo. Zojo is a cross-platform development tool for creating native apps for the desktop, mobile, web, and even Raspberry Pi. Zojo currently supports macOS, Windows, Linux, iOS, and Android's coming soon. With Zojo, you write just one version of your app, say on the Mac. Then you literally check a checkbox and you have a completely native Windows version as well. And Zojo uses native controls, so your app looks at home on every platform. You'll be able to build apps 10 times faster, which can save you time and money. 
Sojo is great for everyone, from newbies to professional developers alike. It's currently used by over 300,000 developers worldwide, from students to Fortune 500 companies. Go take a look at their site and you'll see just how many companies you know use Zojo. It's free to use, but licenses are required to build standalone applications. So go to zojo.com slash radar, that's x-o-j-o dot com slash radar to find out more. And you can get 20% off any license with the code radar. Thank you so much to Zojo for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think, too, just to sort of wind it down, uh, our last episode before... Uh, the all these announcements start to come. I think there's an interesting rumor that I just wanted to touch on that I think is is it seems like we I, were, I finally hit the point where uh, Apple may release their own sleep tracking for the Apple Watch. Um, it, I saw this sort of seems to sort of have it, it's percolated up in the rumor mill where now it is not just like something that's coming down the road that seems to be something that is more eminent. And who knows if that means next uh, Tuesday we get it or not. But it seems much more prompt me much more. Um, much more likely to be next week uh, than, than it has been for a while. Um, is fair enough, and that's the same. The same thing with all these rumor stuff. Um, and of course, that is interesting for me as someone who makes a sleep tracking application for the Apple Watch. Um, and what's slightly co- comedic for me is so back in uh, January of twenty of two thousand seventeen, I wrote a blog post called "Inevitable Sherlocking," where I talked about how I thought that Apple was likely going to be Sherlocking um, Sleepless Plus that uh, that summer at WWDC. Um, it seemed like the things were kind of in place and there was enough battery life and all these things that I was like, this is, this is, gonna, this is coming, this is happening, what do I do about this? If I feel like you know, I'm going to be sort of Sherlocked or replaced by a system function right away. Three years later, essentially, <laughs> this is now finally maybe something that is going to be, uh, be coming. So I was a little wrong on, the, on the, the timeline for that, which, you know, worked out well. I got to enjoy um, the last, you know, almost three years of Sleepless Plus without there being a, a native built-in system function. But the concepts of that, I think I still, that I talked about there, I think still apply um, to how do you deal with the fact that, you know, system functions are going to get more robust over time and, you know, what does that mean for my application? Because the weird thing, and I'm part of why I wanted to say it today is because it's easier to say it now than it will be after it's actually out in the world, is that I am looking forward to Apple Sherlocking my sleep tracking. Uh, I think it will be good overall for Sleep Plus Plus, and that I, my prediction is that it will actually end up being a, a overall net positive for me and my users. Um, as a result of this, of Apple doing native sleep tracking um, and sleep monitoring as part of the Apple Watch. And I say that mostly because I think, in general, when Apple is able to bring their own sort of, their, all of their weight behind a feature to it and bring that to a device, it raises awareness of it. It sort of, it becomes part of the marketing. People in, it becomes part of the posters in the Apple store. It becomes part of the onboarding experience. It, it becomes this thing that people then start to expect as part of the device. That sleep tracking for an Apple Watch becomes a thing that people think about. And I don't think for a lot of people that is something that they think about right now. Um, I've just sort of just from the, you know, my experience of interacting with users that a lot of there's a lot of sort of surprise that sleep tracking is even something that you can do now, even though you've been able to do it for, um, you know, over three years um, with third party uh, applications. And so it is an interesting I look forward to a that awareness that people would draw people towards sleep tracking and towards apps like mine. And I think what it means 
is A, that people are going to have better data because no matter how robust my system is for doing analyzing your night and kind of trying to estimate your sleep, Apple is going to be able to do a better job because they have all the privileges that I don't. They can run during the night. They can do things and turn on sensors and do all kinds of stuff that I just can't do. And so I think they're going to do a better job, which means that the user's data is going to be better, which means that the opportunity then becomes for me to make my make you know my application much more about analyzing that data and understanding that data and visualizing that data and kind of amusingly when i started like so i'm in the last sort of steps of submitting uh sleep plus plus version 4.0 like a big major update for it um which is a little bit funny when i'm like about like i sort of had my first test flight approval come through and then like a few hours later i see the like mac rumors post or i think it was 9 to 5 mac post that was like sleep tracking coming to the apple watch so had some funny feelings about that but ultimately it's like this update is all about trends and visualization and trying to more clearly show people data and so presumably apple's going to throw their data into health like they do with everything and i'll be able to read it out whenever this finally comes and visualize it to the user and so ultimately hopefully that'll make mean that makes sleep plus plus even more valuable um because the thing that is ultimately you know like, oh, ultimately, I think people use C++ because of the way I visualize it, not because of the data that I'm providing. Like, you can't use it without the data, so I have to generate the data myself right now. But anyway, it seems like an interesting thing that is coming sort of hopefully next week that we're kind of finally wrapping around that loop. And I'm finally getting Sherlocked, and I f- feel good about it. Like, it's which is slightly surprising to me in some ways, but is ultimately... You know, we'll, we'll see how, you know, in two weeks, how I feel when I see what Apple does. <laughs> but um, right now I feel good and I feel it's kind of an, in some ways I'm glad that I'm about to ship a big update that I can ha- have my app, you know, finally ready and have all kinds of great visualization tools for when Apple does a big, you know, push maybe this this fall about sleep tracking on the watch. Could be a good thing. That's a good way to look at it. I mean, because like, you know, like when when I first saw the sleep tracking headline blow by, you know, a few days ago, I was like, uh oh, uh oh, too bad for too bad for Dave. This is going to be a problem. And then. But yeah, like I, I think you're looking at it correctly, which is, you know, I mean, look, worst case scenario, if if Apple does such an amazing job visualizing everything that nobody wants your app anymore, it's still probably only going to work on the latest watch anyway. Sure. <laughs> so you have a, you have a long time uh, before before your market is really gone. Um, and that's the worst case scenario. Uh, the best case scenario is is what you said, which is basically, uh, you know, you people are going to your apps for alternate visualizations or alternate layouts or alternate controls of built-in functions, like and and so it's not really going to destroy this app of yours uh, if Apple if Apple provides the data. And in fact, I think you're right. Like Apple's data will probably be better than what any third-party app could do. And so, in a way, it kind of kind of like will reset the ecosystem of third-party sleep apps because there's like there's a handful of them out there and right now it's up to you of like how you interpret the data to decide were you asleep or not or whatever but if apple is going to make that available through HealthKit in a standardized way using you know better sensor reading and better algorithms and everything else then that kind of that kind of takes away that competitive difference between your apps and it just resets the the bar to be a higher bar now it's about ui and and data view viewing and and graphing and all sorts of you know other things that are above that layer uh and and i think you can compete very well in that area because you already do so yeah i i think it actually it's actually a good way to look at it yeah and i think too i think to your point about the device support my suspicion and this is my just like 
like my, my, if I had to like place a bet for next week is that if they do bring sleep tracking to the Apple watch this next week is that it will run on the new watch and the series four watch. Um, and that's based on just in, there's been a couple of things in watch OS six where it, they only are available on the series four watch, hmm. which makes me think that that may be a way that they are segmenting uh, capability and my suspicion is that series four will still be available for sale um when if series five comes out it creates this nice clear marketing message of like any apple watch you buy now will support sleep tracking so you don't have this slight necessary which is you know maybe they're, they're not getting as much of the potential upsell there but like i don't know there's a clarity in that that i kind of could see so if i had if i had to like guess that would be the case and then like to your point i think is exactly right it's like then you have if anyone who's running a series um one two or three apple watch they hear about sleep tracking their friends can do sleep tracking can i do sleep tracking it's like yeah sure you just it's like you'll just need to use the old method whereas you know people on the new watches can use the new method um so anyway, it's an interesting opportunity, and yeah, it's like either I'm sli- either I'm just deluding myself because the day has finally come that uh, <laughs> you know th- th- this this life re- th- this app reaches its end, or um, hopefully it's just it's a positive inflection point and it's going to kind of hit up from here um, because I I can finally put to, you know like put put aside the parts that I was never very good at that like the deep data analysis is not my is not my strong suit the visualization and trying to like. My my thing is always about making health and fitness data simple and clear. And that was, I think, what Sleepless Plus, you know, sort of is and is it all about. So we'll see. Don't forget confetti. Thank you for yes. listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Unless you're a member. In right. which case, we'll talk to you very soon. Exactly. Be a member. Membership is great. Yep. Bye. Bye.